Welcome to AUSA's Army Matters Podcast, focusing on what's important to the total Army community. We bring vital Army conversations and interviews on issues relevant to soldiers, military families, and all of you amazing Army supporters. Rotating each week, our show includes Soldier Today, Leading Great Teams, Family Voices, and Thought Leaders. Let's tune into the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Colonel Retired Scott Halstead, and welcome to this episode of the Leading Great Teams podcast, brought to you by the Center of Leadership at the Association of the United States Army. Our guest today is First Lieutenant Maggie Gleason from the 2nd Cavalry Regiment at Rose Barracks in Vilsack, Germany. First Lieutenant Gleason is a native of Jackson, Mississippi. She entered West Point for cadet basic training in June of 2015. She graduated from West Point and was commissioned as an infantry officer on May 25, 2019. She is a graduate of the Infantry Basic Officer Leader Course, Airborne School, and Ranger School, and she currently serves as a company executive officer in the 2nd Cavalry Regiment. Maggie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. More importantly, thank you for your exceptional and selfless service to your troopers, the Army, and the nation. Thank you for having me. Maggie, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Let's start off for our listeners. Why West Point? What made you interested in joining the military? So... Truly, there was a great personal connection growing up. I was on the swim team for years from 7th to 12th grade in high school. And my high school swim coach was a retired 06 in the Corps of Engineers. And he had gone to West Point and he graduated sometime in the 80s, I believe. And two of his children also went to West Point and were there at the same time. And his family was just a perfect example of the people you want to emulate in life. They were great leaders, great friends. They just brought people together, set wonderful examples, developed the team. And I just thought, wow, I really want to be like them. And if West Point was part of their background, then that's something that I might want to do too. And I looked into it and it was great. I went to the summer seminar there between junior and senior year of high school. And then I also did a visit as well. And that really just made me decide that I wanted to go there and graduate as an officer. After you went to the summer leader experience before your senior year in high school, and then you visited, what was it about West Point after you saw it that made you want to join the Corps of Cadets? Yes. Yeah, so first of all, it's just rather impressive visually, I'll say. But truly, I think I really like routine and structure and a goal and something that drives you to do what you do every day. And that is very apparent there. And part of life, you know, you get up, you have class, you know, go to your sports, but you're always working towards something. And I think that's a very satisfying thing to do, whether it's trying to achieve a certain score or grade on a test, or maybe competing for this spot to go on this trip in the summer or what have you. And then the ultimate goal, of course, of being a second lieutenant. And it's really like that sense of purpose that was there that I didn't see at other organizations. Maggie, do you have a lot of members of your family that served in the military, or are you the first one? Well, my grandfather was a pilot instructor in the Navy during the Second World War, but other than that, no. So neither one of my parents, so really no direct family members or influence there. How did your parents feel about you selecting West Point? (laughs) Um, I think they thought it was slightly unusual at first, you know, like, why does she want to do that? That's not really at all like her, I guess. But they were, of course, very close to the family I mentioned earlier as well. And they got kind of an insider's view into what it's like to be a parent of a cadet or a student at West Point. 
And so I think they had a pretty good idea and feel for how it would be. And they were completely supportive and they loved visiting throughout all four years, whether it was a sporting event or just for a four day weekend going to New York City and whatever parents weekends and they love it. My dad is actually, I think he just signed off because it was only a two or three year rotation, but he was the vice president of the Mississippi Parents Association for West Point. So he loves all that too. So they're very supportive and they just think it's very cool to have West Point kind of around. So <laughs> so over the course of your four years at West Point, certainly you're exposed to all kinds of experiences. What were some of the key leader development experiences you had at West Point and how did they shape you as the officer you are today? Yes, I think there are kind of three facets of answers to this question. So first of all, West Point is very unique in that every cadet has a leadership position. Even if you're a plebe, so a freshman, and you're just taking out the trash, or you're in charge of taking out the trash, you're in charge of cleaning the hallways, you are kind of responsible for something at all times. So I think a couple of those experiences stick out for me. So Cal year, junior year, I was a platoon sergeant one of the semesters, and that was, I think, very important in seeing how essentially accountability (laughs) is very important. So as the platoon sergeant, even just of a cadet company, you're constantly, you know, kind of conducting peer leadership with the squad leaders. Hey, first squad leader, do you know where these people are today or what appointments they have or why aren't they at formation? And you have to report that. And I think that was a great introduction in how to be accountable, definitely for personnel. I was also in the summer, the S1, you know, keeping track of people essentially for the basic training regiment. And that was also a huge lesson in accountability, sending up reports in the AM and the PM. If we changed around positions or we gained or lost cadet candidates, essentially, you know, keeping track of the lists, making sure everyone knows where everyone is at all times. And then finally, senior year, I was the XO for a regiment or approximately a fourth of the student body. And that was very just eye-opening, kind of into the inner workings of, okay, you know, how does S4 work on a daily basis? When do I need to order these things for this event that we're having? Or when do I need to report these people through the S1 as not able to go to this brief? Or even things as simple as that. And there's a lot of liaising between kind of the TAC officers there and the cadets. So those cadet leadership positions, there were also athletic positions. So I was on the crew team for a couple of years. That just wears you down in a very good way. You learn how to work as hard as you possibly can. And I think a lot of being a leader is just kind of finding your own limits and breaking down and coming back up again and doing it again, essentially. And that is crew. I became a lot physically stronger, a lot mentally stronger from that. And not to mention, you just build bonds by being on a boat with other people as well, doing the same things during a race. And then also senior year, first year, I was on the Sandhurst team on the Black Sandhurst team. And that is not only an athletic challenge, but also just a teamwork challenge, leadership challenge, kind of meshing, finding out talents. So, you know, saying, hey, or seeing this group of people, hey, I think you'd really be good at this event. So I'm going to pull all of you and pick you to do these events. So it was really just kind of learning how to be a team. And I think all of those things coupled with, you know, balancing school and just your life in general (laughs) kind of led to some leadership development there. Yeah. So Maggie, I distinctly remember watching you and the Black Sandhurst team in Arvin Gymnasium on the rowing machines at 530 in the morning. And it was (laughs) uh, 
for an old guy, it was impressive how hard your team was working with the goal of winning that competition. So for our listeners, Sandhurst is the military competition at West Point. And West Point invites allies and partners from around the world and invites like really high performing ROTC programs to come there and compete. And it's an amazing multi-day physically and mentally challenged event. And so Maggie, can you talk about it? I mean, can you talk about sort of how your squad did your senior or first year? Oh, certainly. So I'll just kind of start by describing a little bit about being on the team. So I was only on the team first a year, but I was certainly grateful for the experience, made lots of great friends, met lots of great people. So as you mentioned, Sandhurst is a team, military skills. There are some tactics involved, but mainly it's shooting, rucking, land navigation, all of those things kind of put together. And so I thought this would just be a great opportunity to be as prepared as possible to commission as a second lieutenant in the infantry, especially. So we had to do a tryout for this. So we actually took our Ranger physical assessment as part of the tryout. And we also did our RUC and then just kind of talked to different members of the team. And I was very, very lucky (laughs) to be part of this team, not having ever been on it before. So I felt very grateful for that. And we had basically two periods of training a day, whether that be two athletic types of practices, you know, running or going to the gym or rocking, or it being kind of more skills practice. So focusing more on shooting or doing the land navigation or different squad battle drills, et cetera, et cetera. And we had a couple of kind of pre-competitions leading up until the final one. So the first one I think was relatively simple. It might've just been pistol or M4 and a ruck for time, something like that. But then we got to go to the Mexican Military Academy in Mexico City, which was great. That is one of my best memories from school. So fun. We just got to mingle and meet with, I think it was probably about 10 different Central and South American countries. It was wonderful. Not to mention the Mexican Military Academy is beautiful. You know, it's completely sunny, has cool architecture buildings, great facilities, especially great training sites. It was wonderful. So we did that. And then we went to the actual competition where we did win. So that was uh, a lot of hard work paid off, really. So it was just a wonderfully positive experience. Those are the people I I miss them so much. Those are my best friends there. So it was great. So Maggie's been a little humble and she's humble by nature. So the black and gold Sanders teams, these are all-star teams. I mean, cadets compete. You know, each company has a team that competes in the fall. A smaller group competes in the spring. But Maggie was competing against the best athletes. Many of them are Division One athletes. Many of them have extensive prior service. She competed and was accepted on to this team. And as she said, they won the competition. So Maggie, one of the things that I remember about the Sanders competition just before you graduated, was you were injured either immediately before or during the competition. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, definitely. So the week before this competition, we were conducting a practice and it was a functional fitness. So it included different kettlebell exercises and doing things on the pull-up bars and sprints. And one of them was picking up a dummy. (laughs) And I picked up the dummy and then it basically slid right through my arm and my shoulder just dislocated from its socket, essentially. I went to the ER and got it taken care of, at least temporarily, but that was very scary because I thought, oh man, will I be able to do this competition next week, let alone move my arm tomorrow kind of thing? But I was 
determined to do this because it had been an entire year of practice. And I just felt so close to the team. And I thought, man, this would really, really be terrible if, you know, the week before I had to say, never mind, essentially, like, I'm not going to do it. I thought, why not? It doesn't hurt really that much. (laughs) And I just decided to go for it, essentially. And I'm really glad because now there's that great set of memories. But it was something that, you know, just deal with it. This five meter target. Okay. I'll have to be a little bit careful this week. Don't do anything to compromise the shoulder even more and just get through the competition and then decide what I'm going to do after that, basically. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we'll talk about a little bit later on this podcast, and I've known Maggie for a while. She is an incredibly dedicated and selfless leader, but I think the arc of this podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about resilience and grit and Maggie scores off the charts in those areas. So she tore a labrum prior to this incredibly complex and physically demanding military competition, competed with a torn labrum. And we'll talk a little bit later on how she had to fight back from injury in order to fulfill her goals in the Army. Maggie, let's stay at West Point for a second. You know, you were at the top of your class. And so you had all kinds of options in terms of branch selection and post-selection. Why infantry? What attracted you to becoming an infantry officer? So I can attribute that decision pretty much to one specific day, plebe or freshman year at the very beginning. The cadets are broken up into companies pretty much the same size as a company in the Army, 130, 40, 50 people. And there is a sergeant first class and a captain in charge, essentially the TAC officer and NCO of each company. And at a breakfast or lunch formation one day, it was still August, maybe early September, Our TAC NCO said, B2 women, females in B2, something like that. I want to talk to you for a second. So we said, okay. And it was all the women from every class. And we went to talk to him, circled around him. And he said, look, the first two women just graduated from Ranger School. And I expect you to at least try to do the same. And I think you all can do it. I'd want my daughter to do it. And I want you to do it. And you can do anything you want in this army and anything you want professionally and in this life. And I think what they have done sets a great example for you and the sky's the limit, essentially. And that was just amazing to hear. And I thought, wow, he is telling us that. It was just great. He had just this amazing charisma and this great influence. And everyone just knew and loved him in the company. And probably even he had a bigger sphere of influence on West Point itself. But I really took that to heart, frankly. And I thought, okay, well, I'll start by making Ranger School a goal. And then it kind of morphed into making infantry the branch decision. But I think that's a huge part of my decision to go infantry. I had a lot of work to do, though, because (laughs) I did not fulfill one of the requirements coming back from cadet basic training, which is a 12-mile ruck. And that is definitely a requirement for (laughs) Ranger School and just really the Army in general. uh, That is a requirement. And I did not finish it. And so I just really more so than school, I'll be perfectly honest, I worked on being as strong as I possibly could be. For the rest of the time there. And that's really how I just trained was just saying, nope, never enough. Got to go for another run. Got to go for another ruck. Got to go back to the gym. Got to go back to the pool, et cetera. So. That's a great story. And I'm thrilled that your TAC NCO was so encouraging, but more importantly that you took it on as, Hey, I'm going to accept this challenge and I'm going to go thrive as a cadet. And then ultimately after you're commissioned as an infantry officer. Have you purchased your AUSA swag yet? Be proud to show your support for AUSA. 
which in turn shows your support for the U.S. Army and our soldiers. Check out all AUSA swag at shop.ausa.org. So Maggie, you and your classmates celebrated your graduation on the 25th of May, 2019. That was an amazing day. But then your classmates left West Point and went all over the world on some well-deserved leave. And then they started reporting to their initial training as officers. You had a much different path because of your torn labrum. What did you end up doing after graduation? Yes. So after graduation, everyone left that day, but I stayed and signed in the next week as a second lieutenant in the academic department. I will say, I think that was a great productive experience. I worked in two different departments there, one of the positions being in the business management department, primarily during the summer. And then for the rest of the semester, I worked in the Center for Enhanced Performance in the library, which had a lot to do with kind of sports psychology and mindset. It was also just kind of psychology or performance in general. So that's where tutors were kind of resourced from. Or if you were having trouble with a particular PE class, they would help you there but it was performance psychology and the bulk of it was sports related. Well, I'm glad to hear that you had opportunities to continue to develop yourself professionally. It had to be difficult to watch your classmates begin their army journeys and you're still at West Point, but it was <laughs> this whole time though. You, I mean, you yeah. had surgery to repair your torn labrum, didn't you? Yes. Yes. That was at the very end of the school year. Okay. Uh, first year. So really I should have been in my sling for graduation, but I took it off to wear my uniform for sure. But I would definitely was not healed by any means at that point. So was your injury, were you ever concerned it would prevent you from being commissioned or serving as an infantry officer or was it not that significant? Well, the surgeons told me I would not be able to be in the infantry unless I got this procedure done. So I took it as no option in that way. So I did not let that pivot my decision from doing infantry in any way. I, th I thought, okay, well, I will, I will do this. I will get the surgery done. But then there was definitely doing PT for anyone who has done it. <laughs> it can be very frustrating, especially when you don't immediately see the progress that you wish you're making. You know, you don't have the range of motion that you used to have. You don't have quite the stability or the strength yet to do what you know you're going to have to do later. So in the six months that I was doing physical therapy, I sometimes was, you know, kind of worried and anxious on the inside, like, man, you know, I had shoulder surgery and I have to, to just even get my foot in the door, you know, on the first day of ranger school or eyebolic or whatever, I have to be able to do push-ups. And so it took a long time to build that back up again. But that was just something I kind of thought there was no option except to continue the program and to do it because I just really wanted to see this goal through. Well, I remember I saw you on Thanksgiving Day 2019. I was out riding my bike on the river walk there in Columbus and you were out running. I think you were running faster than I was riding. I was happy <laughs> to see you finally at Fort Benning to begin your journey. So, you know, you graduated from the infantry basic officer leader course. You graduated from airborne school. Let's spend some time talking about Ranger School. You know, I'd like to hear sort of, you know, what did you learn about yourself and about leading other people during your Ranger journey? So I actually went to Ranger School in July, but I failed a wrap week event. And then I went straight back in the queue and went back in August, went through wrap week. And I was very excited to get through that because I hadn't the time before. So I was very pumped, just so excited to even be there, kind of like a little starstruck by being there. I know that sounds silly, but that's how I felt. And then Darby was just kind of getting the feel for things, figuring out systems, 
what the instructors expect from you, kind of day-to-day tasks and routines and how you divvy out certain responsibilities to people as either you're in a leadership role or kind of an informal leadership role. Then after that, so I did not recycle Darby, but I did recycle both mountains and Florida. And that, that was, that was tough. That was tough. Um, I think so generally I like to have a very positive outlook on things, kind of to see the best in people and in situations. And even if a challenge might arise, still kind of say, okay, the solution isn't quite clear yet, but we're going to work as hard as we can to find something that kind of fits the needs here and just kind of keep the positive attitude. But it was hard, especially, you know, mountains is hard. It is very physically challenging. The missions are harder than Darby. You have less time to plan than you do in Darby. There are more unexpected aspects of every day, really. And there was also no recycle period between the two mountains. And so it was just being very, very exhausted into the next day doing everything over again. And I noticed it then, but as I reflect on it now, I certainly know I was not myself. And there were definitely some moments where I was not proud of what I was doing at all or how I was acting or how I was treating other people. And that is something that you see when you are stressed out or very, for me, it was the tired. I was constantly falling asleep, which is also not good. Even falling asleep, standing up, you just, you, you kind of are not the best person really. At least that's how I saw myself. I was not the best version of who I could be and did not help out as much as I should have or could have. And I definitely think from the first phase going into the second one, I just, the downfall was the outlook and the attitude, frankly, I really think. And it's just, it's just a lot. Kind of on the flip side of that though, you do see how much you can handle. Because when I look at that now, I'm thinking, man, I had way less sleep and we were doing so much, (laughs) Right. you know? It's not normal life, really, every every day there. But other than that, I mean, you just you just completely learn how to make a team, especially when you are getting your look, how to make a team or how to work with people that you've never worked before. And that, I think, is a huge challenge. I think that is the biggest challenge. There's also something that I learned or a lesson that I took away was that it is better to be decisive as long as it's completely not crazy, better to be decisive and to move forward with a plan rather than to not have a plan at all and to not move forward at all. I think that's a huge lesson to take with you, you know, on looks that you got no goes on. I think a common AAR comment, not only from the instructors, but from other students, just as we were having discussions was, you know, man, you really spent too much time planning that. Like, there wasn't enough time to spend that much time on the op order. Like you should have let your squad leaders know the tentative plan hours before then, because then some movement could have been made that you were too indecisive here. And I think that was a huge lesson. So kind of going with what you know is right, despite being too tired, don't overthink, but to make as good of a decision as you can with the time constraints. And I think that is a great lesson to kind of take anywhere else in this job. So Maggie, to go back to our arc of grit and resilience, I joined your platoon in the mountain phase to walk patrol and the ranger instructors pulled me aside and, you know, they gave me a rundown on all the ranger students, especially the people in leadership positions. And of course, they don't know at this point that I know you and I'm never going to tell them that, but they said, I forget what your roster number was. They said, she's hurt. Something happened to her 
but she's not quitting. In fact, she's carrying more than her fair share of the squat equipment, but she's limping. When they're watching you, and whether you realize it or not, you were limping in the mountains. How did you get hurt? What's going on there? Yes. So by the second mountains, a couple things were actually underway. So we jumped into Darby. I forget what the airfield is called at Benning, but it's the same one where you do airborne school. So luckily I'd only done airborne school about a month before then. So pretty familiar with that area. However, did not execute the best landing, I don't think. So I landed and just felt my leg go pop essentially. And it was kind of gross, honestly. It was just like a lot of swelling and it would not go down at all. Um, it didn't go down for all of Darby. It was pretty much just numb. I wasn't really sure what it was, but I knew it was from the jump because it had essentially gone that way immediately. And in between the mountains, the medics did checks as they normally do, but it was kind of more extensive checks because we were done with the phase and they wanted to make sure everyone was actually okay, as opposed to just a regular foot sock check. So the medic came around and said, you need to go to the ER right now because they thought it was something relatively serious, you know, a blood clot or something, God forbid. My leg was rather large. It was not the most sightly thing. So went to the ER and came back. And luckily it was less threatening than they had thought, but it still didn't look good. And it wasn't the most comfortable thing. And also I had a stress fracture in my other foot uh, growing larger and larger by the day. So basically any step that I took was very, very painful. And I will say doing Mount Yona on that was not good. That was very painful. It was essentially just leaning forward in order to get up the mountain and just trying to ignore it as much as possible. Due to the powers that be in this life, you know, the swelling on my leg went down and my foot, I just took lots of ibuprofen every day. As much as they allowed me to take, I just took it and just smiled and went on. That's pretty much it. But at the beginning of the second mountains was very painful. So, And Maggie, I'm just thinking back to, you know, you set this goal for yourself to earn your ranger tab as a plebe at West Point. And here you are four and a half years later, and you're still resolute. You're going to do it regardless of injury. And everybody that goes to ranger school gets hurt. Everybody does. You're currently signed to the 2nd Cavalry Regiment in Vilsack, Germany. And you spent about eight months as a rifle platoon leader, and you're in the middle of transitioning now to be a troop executive officer. How are things in the 2nd Cavalry Regiment? Oh, they are great. I have really enjoyed my time here so far. I've been here a little under a year. I got to 2CR in March and then have done platoon leader time, becoming a troop executive officer as we speak. And I have just met a great great number of people here. The lieutenants are very tight. And I think that's very important because especially within your troop or company, if the lieutenants are close, then I think the troop as a whole is just stronger. You know, if you can go ask your next door platoon leader how to do something, what they think of something, how to bounce ideas off of them, have a great peer leader as your XO, then I think you're going to be more successful than just working in a bubble. All the lieutenants are very close in all five troops. So, you know, we have the headquarters troop, the support troop, and then the three rifle troops. So I think it's great. Our command team is just very motivational, inspiring, mature, experienced set of people. When I first got here, this is pretty typical for lieutenants, especially in this squadron. You become attached to another troop as kind of an extra lieutenant who's an assistant to the training room. So last year, I was one of, we call it the operations officer. 
So when I first got here, we were heading straight to the field for a two-week FDX, and I was attached to a French platoon, which was fun for a number of reasons, just to learn a lot about different army. The other platoon leader was very fun to work with and kind of liaising between that platoon and the company commander. And that was very developmental and educational because I saw kind of firsthand what I'd be doing later on at the next CTC, you know, what the commanders expected of you in the field as far as planning goes, how to, especially with a striker brigade or SPCT, how to manage your vehicles, both logistically and tactically, things like that. As a platoon leader, so I did spend about eight months being a platoon leader, went straight into platoon live fires then did a CTC rotation. So we do those at Hohenfels and that was about a month long and it's several FTXs, I guess you could say. So, you know, three or four days, maybe one was even five days. And then you take an admin 12 or 24 hours and then do it again for a month. Lots of ranges. You learn how to plan ranges pretty well as a platoon leader because you're just constantly making con ops and taking different plans and ordering supplies and things like that. And now as a troop XO, I really am still learning the job. I'm still left seat, right seating, but I'm very excited to see this side as well. So it's been a great experience so far. Well, Maggie, I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice. Certainly your squadron commander trusts you. Otherwise, he would not have put you into a troop executive officer position so soon. So I'm incredibly proud of you. Maggie, do you have any closing comments for our listeners? Anything you want to share that maybe we didn't talk about during this podcast? Uh, well, I kind of mentioned it on the tail end of the Ranger School conversation, but just at least from my perspective, I think when making decisions, it is best to go with what you think is right. Even if it's not the trendy thing to do or what has been done in the past, whether that be in the field or in garrison, if there's something wrong, I think it's generally right to fix it. And not everything has to be perfect all the time. It's very hard to say that because clearly you want to provide the best products that you can, but sometimes there's simply not the time or the bandwidth to come up with the most perfect solution. As long as it fits with the organization's values, your values, the intent of the mission, I think sometimes you make a decision, gather consensus, but make a decision that is true to you. And I think that's the best way that you display your style or your leadership is to be true to yourself. No matter how cheesy that may sound, it's just better to be as genuine as possible. For our listeners, Maggie's getting ready to deploy. It's been on the training calendar for a long period of time. So, you know, she graciously squeezed this podcast in before she heads out for a good bit of time. But Maggie, one, thank you so much for sharing really your unique journey over the past almost seven years from entering West Point to going to all your schools at Fort Benning and now the incredible work you're doing in the 2nd Cavalry Regiment. You really have epitomized what it means to be a resilient and optimistic leader. You've hit obstacle after obstacle and you found a way to work through them and continue to build and lead your own lethal, cohesive and honorable teams in 2nd Cavalry Regiment. So I'm incredibly proud of you. You know this, Maggie, you're a graduate from the West Point class of 2019. It is my favorite class I ever worked with at West Point, and you're right at the top of that list of incredible leaders that your class has already produced and thankfully will continue to produce for a lifetime of service to the nation. So Maggie, thank you so much for joining us. Our listeners can access all of the Leading Great Teams and Army Matters podcasts at www.ausa.org backslash podcast. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. 
Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters Podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters Podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Have a great Army Day. Hua.